Hi. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> First interstitial of a new year. I still feel like, you know, 2021 is fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I'm ready. This week I uh, tweeted out to everybody that if I ever use the word fine or I support you, it means that I think you're out off your rocker <laughs> and I have no idea what you're talking about. So That yeah. is 1,000 percent true. <laughs> what was I going to, oh, you, and we have to share everybody with the, the meme that Eric made for you of baby Jen. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Um, Laquette is like, apparently I'm a, my, my childhood doppelganger, a, a doppelganger of what Laquette imagines I look like as a little girl in some state farm. I don't remember some commercial. And Eric made a meme, and we'll put it in show notes. I'll be, you know what, right now you're probably looking at your phone and you're going to see me. I'll make it the picture. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that makes it easy. Sure. Do, people might not know that if they um, look at their podcast app while they're listening to us, there are sometimes pictures. There are always pictures. Always, yes. And sometimes they're entertaining. Today, on an interstitial, it's especially good because it's the cover of whatever book we are talking about. Sometimes I just, like, pick funny images or whatever and, or, like, you know, ones that are related to thematically whatever we're discussing. So if you're like, wow, what was Jen Googling? Risk versus fear. And then I'm like, what does it look like? What looks good here? You're amazing. And then sometimes, sometimes Eric is involved. Like, periodically a weird photo turns up yes, again. <laughs> sure, sure. I, the other day, was tasked with, I, I, like, was I had to start the post like because each oh, yeah. when you put up the podcast and this is really inside baseball but when you put up the podcast it's basically a post on a blog if any of you have ever had a blog um and so uh I had to start it and then I was like I have no idea how to do <laughs> how to do any of this I don't know how to do pictures I don't know how to do anything so basically without Jen and um Eric this would never happen yeah I would just say it's fun though if you have a podcast app the images part is good the chapters all have titles. Who knew? Um, yes. Welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. I'm Jennifer Prokop. I'm a romance reader and critic. I'm Sarah McLean, and I read romance novels, and I write them. I read them more than I write them, honestly. <laughs> but right now, I'm on deadline. So actually, I was thinking, because next week's episode, which is Naima Simone's Blackout Billionaire series, which is three category romances is three category romances, uh, all three of which I have read already, but still I was like, I'm going to reread. I'm probably going to like re-skim because I'm trying to write a book right now. I'm going to save something. When we record next week, I'm going to tell you all a story about one of those heroes. I'm not going to say which one it is, but one of them has a name, which is the real name of Little Romance, and it was a hard (laughs) book for me to read. (laughs) Well... I mean, now we're gonna we would we'd give it away, but I have a plan for that, so I okay. will be in touch. Oh, good. <laughs> we'll okay, because I'm gonna the whole time be like, and then little Roman. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've said his name on the pod before. It's fine. Um. Anyway, so this week we are talking about curvy heroines, and the reason why is because Eric, for three years, has been telling us to talk about curvy heroines on the podcast again. Jen, why don't you tell everybody? Well, it was one of our very first interstitials, back when our interstitials were like supposed to be like 10 minutes or 20 minutes or something, so it's a, probably a really short episode. I mean, literally, 
one of our first, one of our first five episodes, I bet. And so this has always been a topic that is near and dear to our hearts um, as women. Yeah. And also as readers. So, And apparently it is the most popular episode of the podcast. Yeah. Um, and it's only like 20 minutes long or 25 minutes long. Not And it's long. like a really, if people are just like Google searching that's they end up at the faded mates website but through google right like sometimes we can tell where people are coming from so this is also we think there's a huge group of romance readers out there who are desperate to know which books they should be reading so look i want more curvy heroines i mean i am a curvy heroine so i want them i want them in my eyeballs so um, we have talked over the years, Jen and I, literally we just did 15 minutes separately before we got on <laughs> to record, where we talked about all the books we wanted to talk about. And we have been talking about books with curvy heroines on the podcast for years. So the problem is, is that we've been doing it in in each of the interstitial episodes where we like pick a book that we really love and talk about it for a whole episode, right? And so... Um, we try to name it, and I do try to tag the episodes Curvy Heroines so that, you know, everybody can look at them. I'm going to go back through this week and, and just make sure that we've done that as much as we can. Um, but what's important is for you to know that we are trying this week to name books that either we did not name. Well, we're definitely not naming the four books we we are doing, we did in the first episode. Because Eric would like to tack the first episode on to this one. So right. keep listening once this one's over and you'll get the first episode again. Um, and then also we'll try to name a few others that we've talked about in the past and try to link to those episodes that we've talked about, where we've talked about those books and show notes. Um, but we're also trying to name some new writers and, and uh, books that we haven't talked about very much. And I'm excited about that. I think one of the reasons it's important for us to do every so often is because not only has fat representation changed over time, but, like, as we as people go through the world, like, the kinds of things we want from fat heroines and authors writing books about fat people has changed over time. And I think that that's part of, um, you know, a book that maybe had great fat representation 20 years ago. Now we look at it and think, eh, it could be better. So I think that's the other thing is every year new books are coming out that are doing it better. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think a lot about the fact that when I was younger, you know, Charlotte Stein and I once had like a DM conversation on Twitter after she tweeted, like, when she was young, like, Fat Monica in mm. in Friends was like was like something that we that she kind of craved to watch because like at least it was something yeah. right yeah and now we expect better as readers um, and I think and we had a conversation about that because I in the past have certainly been you know a fat woman who would read any book that had yeah. a fat character in it because I wanted the experience of reading about somebody who looked like me. And it didn't matter that there was, I mean, I say didn't matter, but like in my head, I never had the moment of realization where I realized that like that in itself can be a damaging experience if you're not seeing positive representation of yourself. Um, Because it just felt like, well, there's so few, 
So these are the ones. I mean, I think it's like that cost-benefit analysis, right? Like, it definitely maybe isn't great, but it's better than nothing. Yeah. And I will say this, and, like, I appreciate that it's not necessarily, I think I've talked about this in the past, but I'll pre- I appreciate it. It's not necessarily everyone's outlook on romances with fat heroines, but like, I still really love the, the romance where the heroine doesn't look at herself in the mirror and say like, oh, like I'm perfect. Right. Like I, I am a sucker for a romance where like, a hot dude comes in and is like, you're amazing. And you're she's amazing. like, hang on a second. I might be amazing. Look at me. I know I look Right? Like, right. I really like that. That is my, like, as a reader, that is something that really scratches my itch as a person. Um, but I acknowledge that, like, that's not for everyone. And they're the best thing about romance in 2021 is that there are a lot of different ways now, not enough, but a mm-hmm. lot of different ways, a lot more ways of uh, writers writing fat heroines. It's now seen as, I would say, like, pretty commonplace, right? Whereas, like, we, I think we talked about, like, with Jenny Cruzy and Bet Me, it was, like, the first time, and we were like, whoa, what is going on? I mean, so now this is something that I don't think it's, like, needs to be called attention to. It's not, like, you know, this is just something that happens as a matter of course in my normal reading I don't have to go hunting for it anymore. Yeah. It it comes to me. And I well, think that's the other thing that's nice. I also think that now there are authors who are publicly stating that their characters are larger women, right? Like, so I think about, like, Charlotte Stein tweeted not long ago, like, all my heroines are fat, right? And that kind of moment where you're like, okay. Like, here's an author who's just doing it. I was talking, earlier we were making lists, and I was thinking about Sophie Jordan, and I was like, gosh, Sophie's written so many, like, beautiful, like, bigger heroines. And I texted her, and I was like, who's your, like, yeah, who's your curvy heroine in that way? Because it's like, you can only have one, right? Right, right. And she was like, Sarah, I don't think I've ever written, like, a skinny heroine. And, like, the reality is, I don't think I have, I think... I've maybe written like one or two skinny heroines, but like most of my heroines are larger because, you know, I'm me. And so, you know, you write what you know. But I think that there's, I think that's really awesome. Like I think about Olivia Dade and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Laquette and people yeah. who just like as a matter of course are putting larger heroines on the page. Yeah. And these are people who, and I think, again, like back to that, like, you're like, you know, my kink is, like, maybe I am beautiful. Do I love that. I, I love it. Like, I love it whenever anybody, like, looks at themselves in the mirror and is like, I don't think I'm that great. And then somebody's like, but you are great. Don't yeah. you see? And you're like, right. Oh, you are <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think, you know, for me, I think, and again, this is like, I think it's so personal. Yeah. I think for me, one of the things I like to see is... um you know, someone who, like, feels great about themselves sometimes and has moments of self-doubt, not just about their weight, but about anything. And I think that that's something I, you know, that, like, kind of push-pull of, like, how I see myself versus how society sees me. And I think that there's, like, this whole range of things um, that 
again, like where we can, where we can get that now. But I mean, I think it's important. I'm going to ask you to talk about Olivia Dade, because I think most of us would say that Olivia's books, especially some of her newest ones and the covers are really like, she is, here's someone who is an author who's really committed to, um, she gives talks about having, writing fat heroines and fat people in your books and fat representation. So it's like, you know, a good, a great place to start. Yeah. And I think also, I have a few things I want to say about Olivia. Um, the One of the things that I think is so admirable about Olivia's work and the way that she is evolving as a writer is she has sort of acknowledged there's, in her in her mind, um, there are several, some of her earlier texts she doesn't think really, like, do the job in the, mm-hmm. in the right way or in, mm-hmm. I mean, I sort of hate to frame it that way because I actually, I have, adored many of Olivia's books. Um, and so I think, and so she took them down and is reworking them and then putting, I, I don't think they're back up again, but they're out of print now and they will be returned to print. Um, and I think that there's something, you know, we, Jen and I have talked over the years on the podcast about like the, the work of writing and what a writer's responsibility is the text that they produced earlier, sort of before they knew all that they know now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, so I think Olivia's doing something very interesting there. I also think we were remiss in not naming Olivia when we were talking about the fanfic, when we talked about fanfic with Christina and Lauren. As someone who's pure romance, I don't always know who comes from fanfic. I don't know that she is from fanfic, although I assume she is because she wrote her most recent book and the book that, I mean, has really put a stake in the ground as like a a cult, an important text in fat romance is, spoiler alert, um, which is about, I mean, what a delicious plot this has. Um, The heroine is on a fanfic board for like a Game of Thronesy style series of books. It's like the mm-hmm. book series fanfic okay. board. Um, and then it's made into a Game of Thrones style television show. And um, of course, there's lots of discourse about how the show and the books intersect and who's doing the right thing and what's happening with the characters. Um, and it turns out that one of the main, like the sort of main hottie on the show is also has also spent years writing fanfic about the books. So they know each other. No one, of course, knows that he's the actor. But they know each other on the board as they're like friends. They're like thick friends. Then she, like, goes to a Comic-Con-style conference where she cosplays one of the main the, the main characters um, as a fat woman cosplaying, like, a not-fat character and, like, mm-hmm. people, you know, take to the boards about her. And there's this very sort of it's a wonder. First of all, it's just like I love a celebrity romance. We're going to do a celebrity romance interstitial soon with Alexis Daria because, like, I love a celebrity romance, and yeah. so this has that feel to it. Um, and it also sort of touches on some of this like insecurity that, or is I don't know that it's insecurity, um, or but like sort of an awareness of how the world might try to hurt you yes. as a larger person. And so, um, and Olivia's book really touches on that and digs into it and sets that on the page as like, this is not a me problem. This is a society problem. Like, I'm not broken. The world is broken. And like, these, these, this kind of thoughtful, authentic, nuanced way of looking at 
fatness not like as just like a a character trait rather than like an yeah. all-consuming like you know personality yeah yeah is so powerful and i just also want to shout out while we're talking about olivia i have i i have um her her last series which is um gosh and i'm i'm drawing a blank now on the town name it's like Made in, and then there's a town name. Yeah. Um, anyway, the point is, um, the book, the the book that I really loved in it um, is 40 Love, which is a, for those of you looking for older heroine, younger heroes, the heroine is 40 or in her 40s, and the, the hero is in his mid-20s, and he's a tennis pro from Sweden. And it begins with her, like, losing her bikini top in the <laughs> ocean, and, like, she's like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? And he kind of comes to her rescue, and it's very charming. And I would just say, like, if anybody's just looking for, look, the world is really hard right now. It's really hard to focus on literally anything but our hell rectangles, as Kate calls them, Kate Claiborne. And I think, like, if anybody's looking for something that's just, like, soft and, like, yeah. comforting, Olivia's reads are exactly that. Yeah. So since you've mentioned um, older heroines, um, I not, like, well, I mean, maybe that's a terrible segue, but it carries out when in my head is... Um, Laquette has a book coming out in the middle of February called Jackson. We've been talking about Jackson ever since the fire went out. And the heroine is in her, I think, like, late 30s, early 40s, both, and Jackson, and her name's Asia. I think I'm saying that right. It's A-J-A. Um, and then the hero is Jackson. And one of the things that I think this book does really well, she's, um, like, the plot is that she's in some danger and he is a, her uncle is like a judge and essentially um, goes to the Texas Rangers and asks for a favor. Like, will you protect her? Because someone is, um, there's some shenanigans and there's some, you know, bad news at her ranch. And she's out there by herself with these two women who are, um, actually she's participating in like a, con- a, a program that helps ex-convicts go back to work. Mm-hmm. And so it's her and these two women. And, you know, so her uncle is like, I want her to have some help. And so Jackson is the hero and he comes out with two, um, of his Rangers and I have, a f- uh, you know, of course. And, but the thing that I really liked about Asia is, this is, um, I think there's a way of representing fatness and romance where it is matter of fact on page and people feel good about themselves and their bodies and they're no part of the drama of the story and no part of the plot of the story is like about their size. Mm-hmm. And that, right, and that is what this book delivers. Asia is just a woman who is, she's older. She has essentially, like, is um, turning this ranch into, like, a spa. She's, like, had a corporate law job or something. She's leaving it behind. And so this is a book that really just, like, delivers you a, like, competent woman who likes herself and knows what she wants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that she is a bigger A real woman, LaQuette heroine here. Yeah, of course. LaQuette's heroines do not fuck around. Like... They know exactly where they are, what they're doing. Yeah, and in fact, like, Jackson's the one who had, you know, a bad breakup or something, and he's the one who's all in his feelings, and she very much knows what she wants. And it's very satisfying to see that kind of representation on page, right? It is 
Matter of fact, but it is not like any part of her plot or her journey or even anything she cares about or wants. She's a woman who just is really centered. And so I think that for a lot of readers looking for fat heroines, that that's what they want, right? Like, And it, I think this book really delivers. So if you're interested in that with sort of like a little bit of a romantic suspense edge, but it is clearly still like a romance, then this would be a great book to pre-order. It's really interesting because I, I think that, that that kind of heroine, that sort of really, like, bold and proud and, like, comfortable in her own skin heroine is rare in romance no matter what. Like, mm-hmm. I think whenever I find one in romance, I'm always like, oh, look at this person who has no, like, no qualms about, like, what they look like or how they are. And, um, and I think that that's... I think that's something that's, when I say rare, I mean rare in, like, modern romance and, like, 20, like, in the most recent generation of romances. Because obviously, like, in this, in the 80s and 90s, like, those women were perfect and knew it. (laughs) Although, (laughs) I don't know, now I'm like, although they, none of them had ever looked in a mirror before, so, (laughs) you know. (laughs) They were like, I don't know, am I beautiful? (laughs) Am I? Um, and so I'm thinking, but I actually just want to shout out very briefly, and we, I, I was, I'm not going to spend too much time because we talk about Adriana a lot on the podcast, but she, I think Eric talked about in the holiday episode that Adriana had a new book out, mm-hmm. um, Her Night with Santa, which is an erotic. It's terrific. <laughs> an erotic uh, lesbian novella that is, I mean, Wow. Wow. Um, And the heroine is the, there are two heroines. One is the niece of the king of the Magi. Sure. And the other is Santa Claus. (laughs) And it's, uh, yeah. So it's great. And um, the heroine who is the niece of the king of the Magi is a curvy heroine. And, like, she has a banging body. And everybody knows she has a banging body. And it's just, like, let's delight in it. And then while we're talking about this, I want to talk about Thea de Sal. Oh, yeah. Who, um, her, so Thea de Sal wrote, um, who I just discovered today by Googling, so I don't think it's secret. Yeah, right, sure. Um, because Jem was like, I don't think anybody knows who that is. And well, I was like, really? so these books came out, maybe this is now. We a while should, ago. When, yeah, they came out a while ago. I Maybe, look, I, I feel like I'm gonna, like, pull it down from the air and say, like, 2016, but I don't know if that's right. Um, go ahead and look it up and we'll see if I'm right. Um... <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. Look it up, Sarah. I'm guessing. Tap, tap, tap. Um, and at the time... 2017. Okay. Um, at the time, this trilogy came up kind of out of nowhere, and people were like, these books are terrific. I mean, everybody was reading, especially, is it the first one, The King of Bourbon Street? Yep. And Truly it was sexy. Oh, yeah. And everyone was like, who is this author? And at the time, I think we all like, nobody knows. But it sounds like now it's Googleable. So tell us all about it. Well, the the name of the author is Thea de Sal. Um, but on, according to Google, that is Hillary Monahan, who I follow on Twitter and seems lovely. So <laughs> there you go. Hey, Hillary. Hey. <laughs> we love your books. Um, so the first book is called The King. It's a trilogy. Um, and it's it has it's a delight. Like it is a delight. It's a it trilogy really is. set in New Orleans. 
everybody's like sexually cool. Like everybody's oh, a pansexual. Yeah. Everybody's rich and wears fabulous clothes. Like living yes. their best life in New Orleans. Um, and the hero of the first book, the king who the, that book is called The King of Bourbon Street, is a hotelier named Saul. Um, and he like falls for some heiress whose name is Rain. And it, like, it, and I want to describe. I want to describe Rain through the lens of Saul's ex-wife slash now best friend because they got married like a week after they met and then like they decided, oh, this is, we are definitely better as friends than we are as lovers. And so they have this very cool, I mean, there's so much about this series that's just like great because it just sets up like really healthy relationships, healthy Mm -hmm. sexual identities, like Health, like healthy perceptions of bodies. Like, there's a lot about this this series to love. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, the, in the second book, which is the 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 wife's book, um, I so the wife's name is Maddie, and she's like, <laughs> I think in the description, the catalog, the cover copy for this book, it's like she's rich, she's powerful, she owns a tiger. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. You're like, great. I love it. I'm for it. And her hero is like a down home, like Texan boy who is also, oh, speaking of older women, he's, I think. Oh yeah. I think you're right. Pretty younger than her. Anyway. So she's explaining her relationship with her ex-husband to this new guy. And she says, um, we're divorced best friends. He's taken up with Rain Barrington. That's the heroine of the first book, The King of Bourbon Street. She's a nice girl. She has a huge ass. I want to play it like a bongo, but he won't let me. (laughs) And then later, and so Darren Darren laughs, and then he says, he'd seen pictures of Ariana Barrington. She was short and blonde and blue-eyed and very bouncy. Was that the word? She was round all over, roly-poly. She's fat. It's not bad to say fat. Rain's fat and beautiful, and she does have a big fat ass. So I guess if you're going to play anyone's butt like a drum. (laughs) And I love it. I love, like... And I think what I loved so much about this book when I read it in February of 2017 or whenever it came out was that I think it was the first time I had ever seen that named, which feels almost impossible, like 2017, but like that I'd ever seen any author just be like, yeah, but also like... You like that ass, right? Yeah, and then <laughs> I love so that. sexy. I mean, and in the first book, in The King of Bourbon Street, Saul thinks she is so sexy, and mm-hmm. she is. And so I think, you know, and she loves clothes, and, you know, there's no part of her that's like hiding. And I think that that was part of, I mean, I remember that's a book that's really stuck with me. I should probably reread it. I mm-hmm. really remember loving it, and I really remember thinking kind of that same thing like, this is what I want. And, you know, and it's, it's like, I I personally do not need to see, I personally don't find moments of, like, negative self-talk to be, like, truly terrible to read because I experience them. What I want is for the heroine to self-correct rather than relying on this love interest to come in right. and say, right? I mean, I love the you're beautiful part, but it cannot only be your No, beautiful, no, no. Right? And yeah, I should yeah. say that, too. That's, uh, yeah. yes, I want what you just said, not the other. Right, right. And, you know, we talked about um, Sierra Simone's um, Misadventures of a Curvy Girl, which has that kind of, again, her fatness is part of the story, but um, but the there's a moment there that always sticks with me about, like, people say, like, oh, I don't, 
I, I don't want you to love me because you have a fat kink. And it's like, well, we never criticize people for like, you know, liking blondes or like being into right. forearms. Like it's okay if you find me attractive this way. Like that you don't have to, nobody needs to apologize for this, which is awesome. And then, um, and then I think about, um, you know, I'm going to name check Louisa Edwards's uh, short story in the Naughty Brits anthology that we put out. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I love that which one. Which now, of course, I hadn't intended to name, and now I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> Not a Good Boy, I think, is is what it's called. Um, and it's basically like Tom Hardy fanfic. <laughs> so surprising no one. Fine. <laughs> I really, really like, enjoy I, this. Yeah. Um, but it's, and also it's a celebrity romance. And as I said earlier, celebrity romances are a big kink for me. But um, the heroine is uh, fat and she is, and there is, she is sort of working through her own, what Jen was just talking about, this kind of like correcting her negative self-talk in the moment. Yeah, right. I mean, and then added to it is falling in love with Tom Hardy. <laughs> I mean, his name isn't Tom Hardy in the book, but like in my head, it's Tom Hardy. Sure, of course. So, um, so he, you know, she's falling in love with like this, incredibly famous, like, superstar, which has to mess with anybody's brain. Right, sure. I mean, anytime I read about, like, people, people who, like, normal people who marry celebrities, like Matt Damon's wife, like, that has to be weird. (laughs) So, yeah, I love that one. It is not a bad boy in the Naughty Brits anthology. Um, I think we should talk about Talia Hibbert. Um, Yes. Talia Hibbert, I think, like... Charlotte Stein and certainly like Olivia Dade is always putting, is always really careful about putting fat rep on page in a way that like she creates just like really sparkling, lovable characters. And in particular, Get a Life Chloe Brown is the first book in her Brown Sisters series. I think the third one must come out sometime this year, probably in the next couple months. I could look it up, but I'm not going to. You'll I'm just... going to while you talk. And I have not read the middle one. But I'm pretty sure that all of the sisters are are bigger women, and I think it's different what they're dealing with. So Get a Life, Chloe Brown, in particular, is one that many, many people talk about as being sort of having some of the best, um, you know, the best fat rep there is, along with a heroine who is dealing with chronic pain mm-hmm. because she has um, fibromyalgia. Am I saying fibromyalgia. that right? Fibromyalgia, yep. Yeah. That's right. And so in this book, uh, it starts off uh, with her essentially witnessing a car accident where she is so close to being hit that she actually almost has like a, I mean, she is like in shock, right? Like the car like goes barreling right past her and she witnesses it and she goes home and she almost has like a, um, like a panic attack in her kitchen. I mean, she has to like literally sit down because she feels like she's about to faint and what she finds herself thinking is she's, like, sitting there in the kitchen with her, like, her grandmother's like, I'll call my therapist. And, you know, like, there's all this, like, drama in the family. Is she finds herself thinking, like, if I died today, what would my eulogy say? And it would basically be, like, she was kind of boring and she didn't have a lot of friends. And even though she had the opportunity and the money, she didn't travel. And, you know, <laughs> there's this one really funny part about, like, she liked to code on the weekends, right? <laughs> And so she is determined to essentially, like, change her life. Like, this moment, she really does. And she um, essentially goes out and, um, you know, finds herself this 
really dashing man named Red. And, um, and he, yeah, and he, and there's this great thing I remember I was looking back today. Um, the first time he, he talks about her, he talks about her voice and he says, um, he says her voice was sharp and expensive. Like someone had taught a diamond to speak. Ooh. Yeah. And I I think if you've never read Talia Hibbert's books, like they're really like, the the dialogue and the and the observation is so sharp and it's so great and so he of course has he you know of course has uh, like a bad ex who was like a a very wealthy woman and so he's a little nervous about Chloe because he feels like she could be a danger to him um, so this first book for sure is one that people should check out. And I think just the whole series is one that um, a lot of folks, I mean, I I feel like I'm sort of talking about books people already know and love, but I think it's also kind of where we are. These are some of the books that um, definitely have great fat rep and do it in a really careful and thoughtful way. Yeah. And you know, the other day we were having a conversation about what, what people, or no, it wasn't, where was that? Was it during our AMA when we were talking about, like, what are people going to take away from 2020? Oh, yeah. Like, the romances of 2020. And I think, like, this is part of it. Like, these, this kind yes. of representation is yeah. part of what people are going to take away from 2020. Yeah. Like, yeah. just, like, thoughtful, careful representation in stories that are decent and nice. Yeah, right. And exactly. Like, people just want to have a good life, I mean, right? I like it when heroes bring heroin severed heads. Sure. But, like, sometimes you just want a nice boy. <laughs> yes. Yes, Here's true. what I would like. I would like a Talia Hibbert book where the hero, like, is awfully nice and then at some point brings the heroine ahead. Is that too much to ask? Talia, <laughs> put on your list. <laughs> the third book is called Act Your Age, Eve Brown, and it is out in March. Okay, so, there you and go. And it's very cute. It has this very cute teal cover. And Eve ha- Eve has purple hair on the cover. It's cute. Um, wait, I want to talk about Alicia Rye. You want to talk about Alicia oh, Rye. We yeah. want to talk about Alicia Rye. <laughs> we do. I okay. So we did a whole episode on serving pleasure, right? And my and my titles, you guys, we're back on our bullshit. But her first book in that series about is called Glutton for Pleasure. And it is about um, kind of the younger, chubbier, plumper sister in this family, Debbie. Debbie. And and she, um, like, has her eye on this customer who keeps coming in. And her sister, who ends up being the heroine of Serving Pleasure, is like, well, you know, it's always him and his brother together. (laughs) And Debbie's like, wait, what? And so she enters into an affair, like, that becomes essentially a polyamorous threesome with this pair of brothers. And it is really hot in a very pleasing way, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and With brothers! Yeah, I can't even. It's fine. It's really hot. And she is, um, you know, it's interesting. She is, she works at the family's restaurant. There's three sisters Still waiting for sister number three, Alicia. It's okay. And um, one day, one day, my princess will come. And um, 
And it's interesting because her sister is like, you know, kind of runs the floor and like seats the guests and does all of the, you know, kind of is in charge of like making the restaurant space and the way it feels inside. But Debbie is the cook. And so there's a lot of great scenes where she is like cooking for them and she brings them food and it is all very, very delicious. And for sure of all the books I've mentioned here before, by far the dirtiest in the best possible way. Yeah. to talk about heroines who decide that I should have sort of ridden this train off of the Talia <laughs> Hibbert. See, I missed it. I missed the segue. Um, but I'm coming back around to heroines who um, decide they're going to seize the day. I mean, I don't know that there is any trope for a heroine that I like more than heroine decides to seize the day. I've it is a great many yes. of them myself. <laughs> but I want to talk about Suddenly You, which oh, is... Yeah. I mean, honestly, Lisa Claypas. Is it your favorite? It's not my it's not my favorite Lisa Claypas, but like choosing a favorite Lisa Claypas is like choosing a favorite child. Sure. Although I I assume that if you have more than one, you probably have a favorite child. Lisa Claypas has gotten me through 2021. I've read the entire Ravenel series since January Oh, I know. 1st. You're like obsessed with Winterborn. What is he your new? Is he your new Derek Craven? Listen, no one will ever appraise Derek Craven in my heart of hearts, but <laughs> Reese Winterborn is pretty fucking great, everybody. Okay. So anyway, go to Suddenly You, though, because Suddenly You is amazing. Okay. So Suddenly You is about the heroine uh, is Sarah. And Sarah... No, wait. It's not. That's not her name. Her name... That's not her name. Because that is Derek Craven's heroine. It's Amanda. Amanda is the heroine of... I'm sorry, but in my head, it's Sarah. (laughs) With an H. Um, So Amanda... And Amanda decides that she is she is a a writer. She is very put together. She has a perfectly fine life. She is skilled in many ways. And the only thing that she doesn't have is a man to take her virginity. Of course. But she's not that interested. In, she's not interested in marriage. She's just, she's fine. So it is her 30th birthday. And she's like, I'm going to get rid of this pesky virginity that I have. Mm-hmm. And so she does what any self-respecting heroine would do, and she takes herself off to a madam, and she says, I would like for you to find me someone discreet and clean, so fresh and so clean, clean. to come and rid me of the albatross that is my virginity. Oh, we're talking about Hattie next, and you can't stop me. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I mean, homage, 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 homage. But the madam goes, hmm. <laughs> maybe you don't really want just like anyone to do this business. Um, She doesn't, well, she says this in her own head. She does not say this to Amanda. Amanda takes herself off at that point. He's like, okay, everything's fine. I'll see you Tuesday evening. And that's that. She leaves. So fine. And then Tuesday evening comes around and the doorbell rings and Amanda is like, okay, opens the door. And there is, a man. A handsome man. A very handsome man. And she thinks, well, this is nice. Like, this is exactly what the doctor ordered. <laughs> and I'm the doctor. <laughs> and they, he, she lets him in, and he's like, hi, I'm, you know, here for you. 
and you're Amanda. And she says, I am Amanda and I'm here for you. But now I'm having cold feet. And he's like, cold feet what? And she's like, she's like, well, I know I asked for you to take my virginity, but now I'm not really sure. Like, it does feel like a lot. Like, it <laughs> feels like a big choice. And he's like, hey, now what? Virgin, what? <laughs> and it turns out he is not at all there to take her virginity. He's there because he's a publisher and he wants to publish her book. But, which, I mean, in my experience, publishers do come to your house on Tuesday night. Sure. <laughs> They send the most handsome man in the office, obviously. <laughs> yeah. In my experiences, publishers are super handsome and turn up on Tuesday night ready to buy your books. But he's a publisher. He's there to buy your books. Don't worry about it, anybody. It's fine. And then uh, she's, but he, of course, does not tell her this. He's like, well, all right. <laughs> I know. He's Dummy. like, I was going to pay you in, in advance. But, like, this works, too. <laughs> this book's great. It is, book is great. so fun because in yeah. classic Lisa Kleypas fashion, you've got a heroine who, like, is slightly behind the eight ball. Like, she's smart and clever and funny and, like, has it all put together. But, like, she's just a touch, like, off kilter. Yeah. And this hero who, like, knows a little... All of Lisa's heroes know more than they let on, right? Like, it's one of her, like, hallmarks. Agree. The hallmarks of a Kleypas hero. And so, like, he doesn't quite let on everything that he knows. And then, like, she goes to some, like, literary salon, like, later in the week. (laughs) And, like, in wanders her, like, this dude, this sex worker she thought she hired. Except (laughs) he's not a sex worker. He's, like, the most powerful man in publishing. Sure. Obviously. It's fucking delightful. It is. Sarah is curvy and Jack. No, I keep calling her Sarah. And it is Jack, right? A man and Jack. Yeah, right. Sure. Um. Amanda is curvy, and Jack, of course, is like, I can't. You've got, I want to touch it all. Yeah, (laughs) obviously. And, like, I'm here for it. So much that I wrote Hattie, who's, like, an homage, at least at the very start, it's an homage to Suddenly You. My favorites of your heroines, though, are Hattie and Callie. My two biggest heroines, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hattie is, I think it's she's in the same boat, right? Only Wit ends up, like, at the bottom of her carriage. <laughs> and she and her best friend are like, well, shit, we got to throw this man out of here because he's going to get in the way of your plans to go to the brothel and find yourself a man to take away your virginity on the eve of your birthday. She, too, has placed a very critical order. Yes. The local sex club. (laughs) Sure, she knows what she wants. There was a a very detailed questionnaire that she filled out. She did. She filled out a form. It's all fine. It's probably a Google form. You know, anyway. Um, And I think the thing that I loved about this is Beast is a pretty big guy, too, right? I mean, so it really felt like he... God, he just loves her from the very oh, moment, he right? He wants to touch all of it. Yeah. And all yeah. of it. All, like, all of it. All of it. And so does Ralston. Ralston oh, wants to touch God. all of it. Ralston. I mean, if you bind your breasts for Ralston, he Ralston's will punish like, you for Yeah, it. he was like, those are mine now. 
You are not treating these lovelies with the care they deserve. Sarah, I know this because I've literally, you, everyone knows that when I do puzzles, which is like a primary stress reliever in my life, and God knows I've been really stressed, I listen to audiobooks. <laughs> a lot of puzzles. It's a lot of fucking puzzles. But I re-listened to Nine Rules pretty recently, and was like, Ralston, God, it's so good. Well, Ralston was my first romance yeah. hero, like adult romance hero, and I basically sat down and opened a vein. And was like, who is the perfect romance hero for me? <laughs> and I poured Ralston, like, onto a page and was like, he's, like, part devil sinister and part Derek oh, Craven. Yeah. And, like, you know, mm. uh, he's everybody. He's St. Vincent. Like, he's the whole nine. He is the whole nine. And uh, so, yeah, he's, without without any of those men, you would not get a Ralston. But. Yeah. But those, uh, those two, and, I mean, but I also think, like, the way that they've changed is that, you know, Hattie, Hattie decides to make something of her life, but she'd been doing that for years. Mm-hmm. Callie has to essentially be, like, jolted into, yeah. into into being, almost, when she her younger sister gets engaged and she realizes, if I don't do something now, I'm sitting in the corner with the old ladies in my lace caps forever. Yep. I mean, honestly, Hattie is Callie all grown up. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe me all grown up too, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I wrote Callie when I was in my twenties and I yeah. wrote Hattie when I was in my thirties. Yeah. There's different. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. So even though they're the same age on page, they're very different. But they're both uh utterly delightful. Oh, thank you very much. I want to just say, I want to give a little nod to Penelope, who's also a curvy heroine. Penelope Featherington. Penelope Featherington. Yeah. Before we go, I want to talk about one other book, which is, I was telling Sarah, I think I talked about this book once when we were recording a lost episode of Faded Mates, which is we recorded an interstitial with Andy Christopher on um, category here category romance and it got lost because it was my fault my audio i had something called i don't know the master echo on and eric it sounded was like, like jen was in a stadium it was, like, it was literally like echo 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 it was literally like we were recording in madison square garden <laughs> Yeah, I actually like live in fear. Every once in a while, I'll check. Like, it's dreams. It's the big. It's the dream. It's the master one. So this is a category romance. Now, here's the thing. I will say, this book has a a fat heroine, but on the cover, she is thin and beautiful. And I think that this is going to be, and we, I think, are seeing this now. It used to be that like. You could have them be fat on page, but on the covers, these were still pretty thin women. I'm so glad we're talking about this. And I feel like that is, I feel like that has been another really big change is that we now can see cover representation that matches what we are seeing on the inside of the book. You know, I don't, I don't know if I agree with you. You don't think so? Because I think we're seeing it in Illustrated. Like, I think those Talia Hebert covers are showing it. I think Olivia's books. Brazen and the Beast. Brazen, yeah. I asked for a plus-size model, and and Harper went out and found me one, and that's amazing. Um, 
I'm thinking about uh, Sierra Simone's most, re- I don't know if it was her most recent book, but in the most recent quartet she had, she has a gorgeous like photographic cover. Um, I think we are still behind the times on getting fat rep on page. You know who has fat rep on her covers is Jessica Kane with her heroes. Yeah, right. That burly. We haven't talked about heroes, but like hefty and husky. There's another one. There's another hero. And the new one. Yeah, burly, which is a great word. Um, there is another, and I you and I'm spacing on it, so you guys will have to look in show notes. There is somebody who wrote a hero, and it is a a big man on the cover, and not just like big, like I my you know shoulders are as wide as a door frame, big. And I can't remember who it is, and so I will have to go looking. I mean, I think about um, Rose Lerner has a fat heroine on the cover. So, like, I can name probably, I think probably between us, we could name maybe 10 covers where the heroine is on the cover and it is a photograph and she is curvy. And I think that that's great, but I think that we are in a position where, like, this is a problem. Soup to nuts, if you are a cover designer or a sh- like a photographer for romance covers, like this is a huge part of the challenge is that there's just no, for independent, for indie writers, there's, if you have to buy like a stock photograph for your cover, there's nothing. I mean, it is, and it is even harder for women of color, like to find representation for fat women of color to put on their books. So we got to figure this yeah, out. Yeah, well, and like, I think the problem of course now is with COVID, right? There are no there are no photo shoots. So whatever progress we were making, I think we are probably coming to a close. But you know, Lenora Bell just just mentioned to me, I think Lenora is great. Um and she just said to me, you know, New Zealand, mm. COVID isn't really here at all. We're doing fine. So, you know, if you're looking for photo shoots for stuff, you should look at New Zealanders. And I was like, you know what? We should. So I'm putting that out there. If you're an indie writer and you're looking for photo shoots for your, um, for your next covers and, you know, think about outside of North America and Europe. So it's really interesting because I just realized I didn't follow up on something I wanted to follow up on, which is I wrote a piece for Kirkus about Harlequin covers. And then I would love to follow up with Harlequin and be like, how are you doing covers now? But this category romance, so I'm going to talk about this category romance by Chloe Blake called A Taste of Pleasure, which again, it, it has a very beautiful black woman on the cover, but she is also very thin. But you know what? Reese Ryan has a book called His Until Midnight that probably came out a year or two later, and it does have a bigger, very pretty woman on the cover. So I even feel like even in category romances, it's like progress is being made, but you're right. I'm not saying it's like perfect, but no, no, no. I do think no. it is a game changer. I also think like there's a part of me that's like my neck. I have a, I will have a, a plus size heroine in this series too. I mean, I'm currently writing Cecily Talbot's book and Cecily also has an ass for days. So, but her cover is done and, and magnificent, I think. Um, but the, 
I, I'm writing another plus size heroine in this series. And I mean, like now I'm sort of following all these like Instagram, like plus mm-hmm. size models. And I sort of have this dream that like COVID will be over when we get to this book and I'll be able to just like point to the model and be like, can you just get a photograph of this woman and put it on the book? Um, but I appreciate that that's me being very lucky um, and like, and privileged in publishing enough to be able to potentially say that to my publisher. But I think, um, I think plus size models are really finding, uh, like, I think there's a, there's room for a partnership between plus size models and romance. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a a great, like, where's my Fabio? Where's my (laughs) curvy girl Fabio? I would like to know too, and hope that person ends up being better than Fabio. (laughs) Okay. Either way, let me talk to you about a taste of pleasure because this was a Kamani romance, and I read it actually on the way on the plane to RWA in Denver in 2018. And I like write what a memory, and I was like, "What the fuck? This book is amazing!" And the heroine's name is Danny. It had this amazing setup, which is chapter one is she is in Brazil for a wedding, and she has a one night stand with a real handsome man, a handsome Italian man, mm-hmm. Sarah. And um, she is essentially a chef at a a two-star Michelin restaurant back in New York. But she has always been, like, sort of sidelined and kept in the kitchen because her lover, Andre... Now, they had been broken up, I think, when the one-night stand happens, but they get back together. And he's kind of, the like, a big name who's, like, churning out, like, restaurants, right? And... He has, you know, she's in the back doing all the work, and he's in the front sort of being beautiful and making it look good. And she thinks that they're going to have some sort of show together on some cooking network when she walks in and she finds Andre, like, is like, literally in the first 10% of the book, banging, like, on the desk one of the hostesses. And he is promising her that, like, essentially they're going to cut Danny out and just keep her in the kitchen, and she is so furious and so she just like takes off. And now her mother, Danny's mother, is a super, an ex supermodel, kind of like um, David Bowie Iman. Is that her name? That really famous, yeah, beautiful Iman. supermodel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she essentially. Fun fact yeah. I once saw them on the street in New York <gasps> City together near their apartment, which was oh right God. near my old office. And first of all, Iman is like. <laughs> I but like so beautiful for as beautiful as she looks in print, like in person, yeah. she's it's like you can't look too close because you it's like looking at the other sun. world, like looking at like, the, yeah. And so you're like, I can't, I have to look away. But also, they were holding hands and they looked really in love. Oh, and so after so he nice. died, like after yeah. he died, a lot of people in New York went to like they'd lived in this on the same block in Soho for yeah, I mean their whole marriage, and a lot of people like went and like left stuff oh. outside of their apartment, and for. Many, many years I would walk past there going to and from work thinking like, like thinking about that one that time love, I saw yeah. them and like how in love, how happy they looked with each other. Oh. You know, like I'm sure Eric and I were out on the street. People were like, oh, those two. <laughs> they look like they hate each other. <laughs> and like, that's an amazing story. I love that. I love a celebrity side. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just like absolutely blew into your story with like a complete no, so say, this is side great. track. But Danny calls her mother essentially like looking for sympathy, right? Like she's like, I just want my mom to sort of be like, oh, that sucks. It's terrible, right? And she kind of knows it's not her mom's style, but you know, like hope springs eternal. And she's like, maybe this is the one time my mom's going to support me. And Danny is kind of like, 
Why can't we just have a conversation like normal people, she says to her mom. And her mother says, normal people? We are not normal. Normal people are not Michelin-starred chef Danica. I made love to David Bowie, for God's sakes. (laughs) And I literally was like, this is the best fucking book I've ever read in my life. Now, what happens, of course, is that Danny meets up with Tony, who's the hot Italian man that she had the affair with, right? And, you know, and the whole story gets swept up in her, you know, essentially, like, agreeing to, like, he's a sommelier or has something to do with a vineyard or whatever. I don't really remember the details. But the way that this story unfolds is, um, you know, she loves herself, but I think a lot of her self-negative self-talk comes from being the daughter of this beautiful woman. I mean, a literal supermodel. Yes. And to me, that felt really real. Like, of course, anybody. Absolutely. I mean, like, this is like when Tom Hardy is, yes. is like, when you're falling for Tom Hardy. Like, it messes yes. with your brain. <laughs> like, being the child of a supermodel probably messes with your brain. If any of our listeners have either been seduced by Tom Hardy or are the child of a supermodel, please let us know if it's messed with your brain. (laughs) Yes, totally, right? We'll keep your identity secret, but we do want to know. (laughs) You know, the banter in this book is great. I mean, it definitely has sort of like a Cinderella-esque feeling to it, you know, but I just really loved their attraction to each other. And the way that she, like, becomes part of his family and, like, you know, he's raising a, it's really sex positive. He's raising a daughter who's, like, a teenager and, you know, she has all these questions about, like, sex and stuff. And, like, he's like, what do I do? And, I mean, I just thought this whole book, like, when you talk about a perfect category romance, this is a perfect category romance. And I loved it. And I am glad that I could bring it back from the the lost Faded Mates Files, because <laughs> love it. it really love deserves it. to have more readers out there, for sure. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to shout out, see, this is one of those things where, like, I had intended to just slide it in. That's what he said. And, uh, uh, but I wanted to just shout out Lock Shot by Kennedy Ryan, which is part of that Long Shot series. And actually, I think the, like, lightest of the three, yeah. you know, that long shot series is a lot for many readers, but block shot is like, is like a second chance. Kennedy loves a second chance romance. So do I second chance, like childhood loves to turn enemies to lovers. And it's about two rival sports agents. And, um, they like had this intense experience when they were seniors in college. And then, a falling out, like a sort of heartbreaking falling out. And then now they're kind of back at it later in the game. Um, they're both like super high powered agents going up against each other and they're hot and great. And, um, Banner, who is Banner, who is the heroine is, um, curvy and she's great. Yes. And also, we love Kennedy here at Faded Mates. We do. Okay. I am actually going to name drop two other books. One is Dangerous Curves Ahead by Sugar Jameson. I have literally just started it, but it's, like, one of those books that, like, people mention off and on uh, a lot when, when and it, I just have read the beginning. Um, she's standing in line at a bakery, and the woman behind the counter is sort of giving her a hard time, like, you shouldn't be buying cookies. And the man behind her, like kind of sticks up for her and tells this woman to mind her own business. And 
Um, there's some great banter between them, but it is immediately the case that he is wildly attracted to her. He just thinks she is sexy as hell, and I am so into that. And she actually owns, because she's so upset about, like, not being able to, like, go out and just shop for what she wants and buy clothes where she wants, she's opened up a boutique specifically for plus-size women. And so she's also, like, walking the walk, right? Like, it's not just her personal struggle, but one that she's really like, I want to make this better for everybody else. And then coming out, actually, a day or two before we release, um, Carla de Guzman, who I really love, she's probably one of my favorite romance class, um, romance class authors, wrote a book called If the Dress Fits. And I think she is re- re like working it and republishing it and this is where um Martha is sort of an accountant and she's like never found love she's never had a boyfriend but her cousin announces an engagement and then everyone's coming for the wedding from all over the globe and so you know she is going to um bring her her best friend as a fake boyfriend to the family festivities and this is another one of those books that um everyone just recommends as being a terrific example of like fat rep but also like Carla just writes a terrific terrific romance um i believe i've talked about the one with the queen like the one with the queen on the one with the queen. Um, I think when we did Royal romances, um, and also I loved how she likes it. So I've read quite a few of her books. It is called the queen's game. I was going to see, I knew I was going to say the queen's gambit, but that's a Netflix show. And I was confused. Although I'm like obsessed with it, but yes, it's so good. You're not going to watch it, but it's fine. I'm going to try it. I read this article in the New York Times about it that was like, no show about chess should be so riveting. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, and everybody, everybody is talking about this show, as you know. And I was like, I don't, I mean, a chess show. Come on. I mean, come on. And then, so, and then the Times wrote that piece. It was like, Look, we we totally understand, but for real. And I was like, all right, let's try it. And now I'm obsessed. It's actually only, I think it's only seven episodes though, Jen. So maybe you could maybe suffer I'll put through. Put on my list. Little Romance and I are watching a K-drama right now called Crash Landing on You. Oh, everybody on Twitter loves that. And Christina Lauren, like. Yes. And Kate loves I it. I mean, so, I feel like the second Christina Lauren and Kate are going to get to yes. this, they're going to immediately like dump <laughs> into a text thread. Yeah. Is it great? Is it romantic? Yes. Hello. She crash lands with a, she's in a paraglider, crash lands into North Korea. And he is like a North Korean, like, I don't know, general, like whatever. No. Uh, what? What's his they keep calling him his title, but whatever, I'm bad at things. And he is so handsome, and he just, like, looks at her, and she's like this, boop, 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 you know? And he is just, like, taciturn, I'm North Korean military. I cannot even. It's fucking what? great. It is great. I am telling you right now, it that is terrific. Is a banana setup. It is a Where's banana setup. Where's the banana setup. phone? <laughs> I was like, it is ringing and telling you to watch Crash Landing on You. She it paraglides is... from South Korea? Yes. A tornado In... comes. It is very... A, t- a 
Um, it was very like almost like um, I swear to God, a bicycle goes by, and I was like, I don't want any of you people out it's there. It's like the Wizard of Oz ever telling me <laughs> that romance novels have inane plots. No, <laughs> she's like hanging in this tree, and he's like on a thing. There's a landmine. I'm paragliding right in a tornado. She has these brothers. They are very sharply dressed. They have these great suits. It's amazing. Y'all have been talking about this on Twitter and elsewhere for years. Not one person has said she's paragliding in a tornado and gets picked up and dropped down behind the DMZ. I would have watched it before this. No kidding. I was literally like, this is the greatest romance Instead, setup of all time. it's like time. a bunch of people going like, oh, it's so soft. Like, sorry, that's not how you lead with me. <laughs> no, it is amazing. There's this, we just watched, we were going to watch slow. You'll probably watch faster than me, but we just watched the second episode and she's at his house and he's at the office and there's like a landline and she's like, I'll only call you if it's an emergency so she's calling him and she's like i need a scented candle for my bath (laughs) wait is he keeping her secret yes of course he is of course he is oh my god you guys literally i mean how many of you dummies are out there they're not selling it right like with all these k-drama friends i have lauren lauren listen christina listen kate no one has sold this show to me like this. Jen, this is why you are my fated. I am going to tell you right now. Seriously, I watched the beginning of this and I was like, nobody talking about this on online has done the complete <laughs> amazing justice. <laughs> this justice. She and then she like, oh my god, it's so amazing. Her like first, she's like this businesswoman, and her like first in command is so upset that she's gone that he's like crying in his beer. I mean, it is amazing. Banana. We watched the end last night. Little romance, and I got to the end of of the second one, and he looked at me, and he was like, "I have so much homework to do, so we can't watch more. You are not allowed to watch without me." And I was like, "Okay, you're a good." I mom. wanted to. I totally would have, and then told him I didn't. <laughs> well, I mean, so that's happened there you in go. our life before. Yeah. One time I went to see a movie without Eric that he had wanted to see. And I went to see mm. it in the middle of the day. I mean, I was a writer yeah, and I had sure. time. <laughs> and I fully lied to him about not seeing it. And then my mom, I was home for like a holiday and my mom was there and she was like, hey, did you see whatever it was? And I was like, yeah. yeah. And he was like, what? And I was like, oh, shit. And then I was like, um. Yeah. <laughs> and in my head I was like, oh how do I back myself out of this? And then I was like, I can't. And we were in a fight for like a week. Well, anyway, those were kinder, gentler times when you can go to the movies. <laughs> right. Can you when imagine you could, when you fought with your spouse because you went to a movie and lied about it? <laughs> Instead of fighting with your spouse because you are in the same room every day, all day long. <laughs> God, it's so hard. Well, you guys, okay. this was fun. It this was, was fun. fun. We it promised fun. we would topple your TBR and here. I think we've done the job. I think we have too. I believe it. So, uh, this is Faded Mates. We are produced by Eric Mortensen. Uh, you can find us at fadedmates.net where you can find all the fun music that's on the on the podcast. You can find merch, Faded Mates merch from Jordan Denae, stickers and buttons from Best Friend Kelly, transcripts, uh, and other... From Gwen and Linda. 
delightful <laughs> items. The website has been redesigned. You should go look at that. Yeah. And, uh, oh, it's Derek Craven Day. On it is. February 4th is Derek yes. Craven Day, so you should get shirts. There are yeah. Derek Craven Would Never shirts available to you from Shannon Donahue. I'm gonna order mine right now. I never know what size to rate to order, but I'm gonna I'm gonna measure the sheet shirt I like. I think mine is like true to size. It is the size okay. I expected it to be. Perfect. That's what I needed to know. So that is Derek Craven. There is a Derek Craven Would Never pin from Best Friend Kelly. Several, we will yeah. link to that. Get your Derek Craven gear early and often. Yeah, get ready. Uh, for February 4th. We don't know what's going to happen, but we will have a Derek Craven episode. Something to do with Derek Craven will happen. It might just be 10 minutes of us saying how much we like it. <laughs> Born under a drain pipe, Sarah. Fine. Born under a drain pipe. Listen, if it was Derek Craven right now, he'd be paragliding into the DMZ, and that's all you need to know about that. That is... He would 1,000% hide a tornado-delivered paraglider. Oh, yes, from he would. whoever needed to be From hit. the bad guys. How is this mm-hmm. going to end? I mean, is he going to defect? I think they're going to end up together, and that's all I, I believe it. Do you but think she's going to stay in North Korea? I don't know. Defect? I have 14 this episodes feels, to this go. This feels very fraught. I feel very stressed about this. Everybody's like, oh, it's so soft. What? <laughs> it's amazing, Sarah. No. It is the best TV I've watched all year. That's anyway, all you need to know I don't know. That. Watch that crazy K-drama, too. <laughs> I, right? I mean, <laughs> a tornado takes her to the DMZ. That's all you need to know. I, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Okay. Okay. Hi, you're listening to Faded Mates. This is Curvy Heroines Week. I'm Jen Prokop, otherwise known as Jen Reads Romance, and my fearless companion, Sarah McLean. I like to write books, and I like to read books about curvy heroines. I like to write books about curvy heroines, too. I'm writing one right now, actually. You've wrote many a great book about curvy heroines, and if you haven't read Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake, you can start there. That's really nice. (laughs) I have, you know, I'll put in the show notes the picture. I gave it to my friend Elizabeth to read, and she put it back on my desk at work, and it posted note on it, and it just said, delicious. Oh, that's so, thank you, Elizabeth. That's very kind. But we're not talking about my book this week. That's all. That's the Sarah part of the show. Yes. Jen, why do we like curvy heroines so much? Because <laughs> I am a curvy heroine. <laughs> yeah, me too. But besides just wanting to see yourself on the page, which is a valid reason. Yeah. I th- okay, so here's what it is for me. It, it's always back to, like, who deserves an HEA. And I think there are so many ways in which our media celebrates beautiful women. And I like to see that all women are beautiful. All women deserve love. All yeah. right. I, it's and that's it. Like I say that to people. I say that to my students all the time. Right. Like you're going to fall in love one day, and the person you fall in love with is going to be beautiful to you. And I think that books with curvy heroines. I don't know. They just really hit that mark for me. And the, the we talked about your book, but the other book that did it first and did it best for me, where I really was bet me Jenny Cruzy. And and when I. Oh, when I read that book the first time, I just thought, I don't know, it it just really, it felt revelatory. And so talking about books with curvy heroines, I think is 
near and dear to our heart. So you tell me why you think it's important and then we can... Well, I think you just sort of hit the nail on the head. I I actually think that the best thing about curvy heroin romances is that they tend to hold a mirror up to all women and maybe just humans in general, but this sort of sense that like, even at our most flawed, like even when we sort of look at ourselves and say, and see, we see all the parts of us that are wonky, somebody lo- who loves us just sees the most perfect person and the most beautiful parts of us. And that is a joy to read. And it's a joy to yeah. experience in life when you're with your friends or your loved ones. And And that's why I love, that's why I love these books. But actually you bringing up Jenny Cruzy's Bet Me makes me think, like, is it possible Bet Me was the first one? Because prior to Jenny, I mean, in the early days of romance, heroines were perfect, like really, really perfect. Like every book had like a knight hero who could span the heroine's waist with his like hands. Right. His manly hand. I think I think Jenny might have been the first one. I'm going to do some research and figure that out. And we'll put it in show notes if we find something earlier than that. But could be. Yeah. And maybe maybe that's why. But I mean, I, I read that book and remember thinking it changed me. Like something fundamentally changed in me when I read that book. Well, do you think it was just that suddenly like romance heroines could be something else? Could be more, different, better? Right. It just opened up a door. And I think it opened up a door in my own brain, too. Sure. All right, you start. Okay, I'm going to start, actually, because I really liked what you said about, um, like, seeing, like, a a curvy heroine, right? We see her through her own eyes, but also through society's eyes. And and a book that I think plays with this brilliantly is called The Heiress Effect by Courtney Milan. It's a historical. It's part of the Brother Sinister series, and it's book number two. Um, You could read it as a standalone, and I think this book is amazing. I don't know if you've read it, but I loved it. And I think this heroine, her name's Jane, is um, she is essentially using the way society views her as a weapon to fool society itself. I don't know that I've ever read anything like it. And so it is profoundly feminist. There's this really amazing scene at the beginning where they describe, she describes her, them trying to like make her waist many inches smaller than it is by like using corsets. And I like flinched as I read it. But then she actually wears like really outrageous outlandish clothes and and she does it like she realizes they don't think she's beautiful, that they mock her and that she's going to use that against them to essentially like escape their notice because she has a huge dowry of 100,000 pounds and she does not want to get married. And so she is playing this game where she's using their perception of them as a way, essentially, of, of making herself like she's it's like at one point the hero realizes she's essentially acting like a butterfly, right? Like she's beautiful and wearing bright colors, and, but it's poisonous. And I just think this book, along with having this amazing curvy heroine, one of the smartest heroines, this amazing hero, uh, the the cast of characters, the social justice aspect of it. Uh, the hero's sister, his name is her name is Free. She's like fo- fighting for voting rights, and it, the whole book is just from top to bottom, just a real treat. And so, it, the other thing I liked about it is, it Jane is clearly a curvy heroine, and uh, Oliver loves her. It's the kind of woman he likes. But it's not the most important thing of who, about who she is. And we and Oliver come, and she herself come to see that about, mm-hmm. about her. Courtney, if you've never read a book by Courtney, this is a really good place to start, actually. 
Courtney does so many things beautifully, but the thing that always comes back to me with Courtney's books is the heroes are always so incredibly noble. Like, oh yeah, they act with such strong conviction and they know what's right capital r yes they will do everything to make sure that they behave in that way that they move the world they move the needle toward that oh it's so good well and i'll tell you what the other thing about this is this is a book that we've talked about like the setup right like so courtney like sets up this whole thing where essentially the hero is supposed to take her down and i i sort of thought oh i know where this is going i did not know where it was going at all And it was like their struggle to be the best versions of themselves, both for, for, for themselves, but for each other. This book is, uh, it's perfect. I loved it. You should read a book by Courtney Malone. Absolutely. What about you, Sarah? I'm going to talk about a different kind of hero, (laughs) a very, very different kind of hero who is not, does not move toward nobility instantly. So I want to talk about Charlotte Stein. I want to talk about Charlotte Stein basically every day, all day, all the time. Um, If you've never read a book by Charlotte, you absolutely need to rectify that and probably clear an entire day of your schedule, because once you start, you will not be able to stop. You will just buy every Charlotte Stein book one after another, and it will just you'll lose your day to great, delicious joy. Because Charlotte, the way the best way for me to describe how Charlotte writes a book is it's like watching Two people fall in love inside a phone booth while you're in it with them. Oh my God, that's so perfect. And you're just like, it's too much. I'm, it's too much to watch. And I feel weird about watching it, but I can't stop. Like, it's just, right. you're just in there. And these two deeply imperfect people, Charlotte has never written a perfect character, I think, in any of her books. But she might be a perfect oh, writer. I mean, for sure. Um, I think Charlotte is one of the very best writers writing today. She's such a writer's writer, too. Like, I, f- I feel like every writer I speak to acknowledges we all just wish we could write like Charlotte. It must be intimidating. I've actually, I'm like, I just get to read it and be like, this is amazing. I can't even imagine, like, imposter syndrome must take over all of you when you read her books. Anytime I read a book by Charlotte, I end up thinking to myself, like, well... There goes three weeks of me <laughs> sitting around and feeling bad about myself. <laughs> but I want to, I don't, I mean, anyway, so I can't say enough good things, obviously, about Charlotte. Um, but this book is called Never Sweeter. And oh, you guys, I know I just like fell over. It's so good. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to do the setup and you're going to go, oh, Sarah, I don't know. So the premise is um, it's set in college. And the heroine, who is very curvy, um, in high school was relentlessly bullied by a group of boys um, to the point where she is run off the road and down a pretty dangerous cliff um, by these like boys who are who are torturing her with bullying. And there's no good reason why she's just like all bullying. There's no good reason why. Um, and she's run off the road and, um, that's the beginning of the book. And then immediately we cut to her in college and she, uh, goes into a class and sitting inside in the class is one of her bullies. And he is there to make amends. She's horrified. She's terrified. She's all the emotions that you would be. She wants away from him. She wants out of this, this entire world. 
Um, but he is there and he's in college with her and he wants to apologize. He wants to, he wants to make it right. And they fall in love and it is, it's amazing. So incredible because the whole time in your head, you're thinking, no, absolutely not. This is not acceptable. And the whole time, I mean, Charlotte just writes this hero who just is working so hard to rectify the past and this heroine who just is so strong because she's so able to tell him no and she's so able to resist it until she realizes that maybe there is something more than resistance and i don't know i think i'm doing a bad job describing it but i think no, it's you're so not. beautiful and i i think it's one of those you know as a writer there are very few i mean I read a book a day, right? I mean, I've read 10,000, that's not an exaggeration, romance novels in my lifetime. And I think it is rare that you come across a book where you just, you can't see how the, re- the writer is going to finish it. The whole time you're doubting that it's even possible to do it, to pull it off. And then somehow Charlotte just does. And it's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful romances I think ever written. I think so, too. And I think the the curvy heroine part, I would say, it's really essential to Letty's character, I think, because like when they talk, right, and they become friends first, is that he says, I didn't want you going through the world thinking that everyone was going to treat you that way. And I think it's like metaphorically, it's some level, too, like how fat people are treated in the world. Right. Like we're we're sort of like look away. And and I think there's something really beautiful about his love for her is so pure. And again, it's like that same thing we talked about when we talked about escort books. Right. Everyone deserves love. Like your physical package should have nothing to do with like whether or not you are deserving of someone loving you profoundly and deeply. And I think this book at every single every single layer does that so well. That's amazing. Okay, so my final one is a way lighter, a jaunt, really. But we, you know, we have to come right out of the deep well that Never Sweeter will will put you in, and all of Charlotte's books, really. But I love a book, like really love in a way, like I don't know, every single bell it rings all my bells. It's called um, "Playing It Cool" by Amy Andrews, and it's a part of a whole series. All the like playing it whatever books are part of a series about a Sydney rugby team, which I know nothing about rugby, but I've lo- I really like all these books. And the main character is a guy named Dexter, and it actually starts off with him and all of his like sort of buddies on his rugby team are basically like, "Hey, there's your kind of girl on the sidelines," because she's like a bigger, curvier woman. And her, um, her name is Harper. And can I just interrupt and say, I love that moment in this book where like suddenly you're not, because we have talked a lot about curvy heroines who are, feel uncomfortable in their skin and, you know, God knows that's real, but there's something really remarkable when in the first moment of the book, like a huge, an entire rugby team is like that one that, yeah, like there's your kind of girl. And I remember being like, but wait, like I literally, I think I went back and reread it. Like, wait a minute. Is that what I think it means that they all know that he, he likes curvy women and they see one and they're like, there, she's the one for you. Oh, I love this book. It was really great. And, and what happens is they end up dating, they end up like falling in love, but because he is so fixated on rugby. Like his sort of like, you know, I, I, I only have this short, I'm a professional athlete and my time on this team is going to be short. So 
I don't really have time for like serious, like a serious girlfriend. Like that's just going to mess me up. They sort of have this like low key, like where she starts thinking that he's keeping her under wraps. And she's like, is it because of the way I look? And he's like, no, it's because I really just wanted to focus on rugby. And, you know, there's this amazing scene, though, at the end. And I think this is also part of why I love this book. I don't think it's super spoilery where she goes to they go to a benefit and they go separately and she is dressed in this like knockout dress and every man in the room can see how beautiful she is and it is killing dexter because he knows like you know he's like everyone now sees what i've seen all along and I, I just, this book, like, really worked for me at every level. I think, you know, the camaraderie between Dexter and his team, the affair between the two of them, her work is like a muralist and her insistence that she deserves to have someone who loves her absolutely. And she doesn't need to be second best to anybody's job. I don't care if it's rugby or not, basically. And she, I just love this book. I loved everything about it. Yeah, it's a great read. And it's like a it's like a fun read, right? Like it's not really serious, you know, but I just think it's like a great fun read with like a here's a curvy heroine who's like I deserve more. And the hero has to be like, "Yes, you're right, dear. What do you need from me?" Also, I think sports heroes in that moment are pretty great. Like the, the dichotomy between like the super sporty like celebrity hero and the normal girl who, you know, right, looks like a normal person is really delicious always. That's why books like The Wall of Winnipeg and Me work so well, you know, because there is that sort of literal body perfection versus just ordinary every day. Right. And I, one of the things I love is the authors who make space for women to feel the way they feel about their bodies and to, to know they deserve love and that they're going to get it, right? That romance is going to deliver that to them. That's really essential and important to me. So... My last book is kind of an older title. It is the first Bella Andre book I ever read. It's called Take Me. And fun fact, I loved this book so much that I then went to the RWA National Conference and I like stalked Bella into and forced her to be my friend. (laughs) And, And now we are friends. But I love Take Me so much. This is the same kind of, I mean, you you guys are going to get a real sense of the kind of heroine, curvy heroine I look for, but the heroine of this book has been best friends with um, one half of a set of like ridiculously attractive twins for her whole life um, since they were, you know, four or five years old. And her best friend has always been her best friend. And his twin brother has always been sort of aloof and not really present in her life and not really showing much interest in her. And she, of course, has had like this crazy unrequited crush on him forever. And I love an unrequited love story. I love unrequited love. Yeah, it's good. And so essentially what happens is she suddenly like, so he's, you know, a millionaire. (laughs) This was in the ages of millionaires, you guys. This predates billionaires. (laughs) Do better. (laughs) Um, And he's this sort of like star millionaire, amazing, you know, all around person. And they end up, she's an interior decorator and um, he's a, he's a developer, real estate guy. And um, he takes her, he hires her basically to help decorate a client's house. And it becomes really clear 
really quickly. I think early in the book, there's like a drinking mishap and then there's like an almost sex moment. And then it becomes very clear very quickly that like he's had feelings for her for a long time. And he ends up flying her to Italy to like shop for stuff for this for his like mansion or whatever. Right? Yeah. And so they fly to Tuscany and they have this like incredible week in Tuscany. And she, the whole time she's like, at some point the other shoe is going to drop in this like fantasy that I have fallen into with this guy who I've been in love with for my whole life. It's just going to fall apart because he's never dated anybody who isn't like a size double zero. And then she sort of sabotages it just by virtue of not believing in herself. And it's so real. Like, it's so painfully real because he's like, I can't convince you of what I see. And until you're able to see what I see, I don't know how to be with you. I don't, I don't know how to make this work. And it is real honest. And, um, you know, I think this is a thing that uh, a lot of people do. Like, we naturally, as humans, sabotage relationships because of lots of reasons. And this is, a, it just felt so authentic and I still, to this day, I love Bella's books so much. So many of them I love, but this one still to me is like the perfect Bella Andre book. Well, and I think that's the other thing that any imperfection that any character has to deal with, but especially body image issues really are about self-acceptance. And I think that's why it's, it, it's not enough for your romantic partner to accept you. The good books, the best books are then about, I accept myself. And I think that's why they really like hit you right in the heart because all of us are working on ourselves, right? And and I think that all books have characters working on themselves, but somehow this struggle really maybe it just speaks to me personally. But when it's good, it's it's a book I just really love and they stay in rotation and I've read and reread them and have them in multiple formats and that's when I know it's like a real keeper for me. Yeah. So shout out your favorite curvy heroines. Tell us on Twitter, hashtag FatedMatesPod. Don't forget that if you'd like us to tackle a trope for you, you should let us know and we will do it with pleasure. So um, if you are enjoying our podcast, we would love for you to subscribe to it. Give us a rating and share it with your friends uh, online, on Facebook, on Twitter, um, in the coffee shop, wherever you might be talking about your favorite podcasts. Okay, everyone. Well, that was Curvy Girls. Um, if you are a writer out there thinking about writing a curvy romance, please do. We need more of them. I saw Naima Simone uh, tweeted about one a couple of days ago, and I'm super excited for that one. Naima, um, write faster. Next week, we are back to IAD. And uh, we are on book number five, and the demons are coming, you guys. I'm so excited. Uh, The first book is Dark Desires After Dusk, which is Cade and Holly's book. As you know, we've met Cade and Rydstrom, his uh, deposed king or dethroned king. I don't know. I don't know what the word is. We'll sort it out before that episode. Um, But we've met him twice. We met him. He was part of the high with uh, Bowen and Mary. And he is a pretty significant piece of this uh, Naomi and Conrad book, uh, the Naomi and Conrad book, which we did last week. So um, we've got Kate and Holly up first. It's a road trip romance. um, And it's one that we... um, 
have a lot to say about, but here's what I'm going to say, because now we've finished recording both Cade and Radstrom's books. And we, Jen and I, think that you should probably read them both uh, back to back if you can, um, if you have the time, because uh, Rydstrom and Sabine's book, which is Kiss of a Demon King, and Kate and Holly's book, uh, which is, what did I just say, Dark Desires After Dusk, um, work in concert with each other. They're overlapping for quite a bit of time, and I think that once you've read both, um, both books get better. Uh, so, um, we are back next week with Kate and Holly's book, and we still intend to release Rydstrom and Sabine's episode in uh, two weeks after that. So there's plenty of time for you to read in, in order. Real life, real time IAD readers, we're reading them um, six or eight months apart, so you'll be fine. Um, we just think that you might like it better if you read them both back to back. Um, we have a lot to say about both of these books, and there is a whole lot of conversation coming about horns and we have a special guest for sabine and rodstrom's book who's got a great story um and you're gonna love it so yay thanks for joining us again uh, for faded mates we're super excited to have you always if you are enjoying the podcast don't forget to subscribe uh and like and review and tell your friends and tell your mom or um whoever else you might like to tell about us thanks so much guys see you soon